Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at China, where the news that the Communist Party is planning to abolish the rule that a president can serve only two terms in office opens the possibility that President Xi Jinping will lead China for literally decades. To discuss this momentous-sounding development, I'm joined by Tom Mitchell, our Beijing bureau chief, and on the line, James King, our emerging markets editor. Tom, first, how much of a kind of thunderbolt was this in China? Because it had been discussed for some time that this might happen. Yeah, well, a couple people have observed that it really wasn't surprising, but it was still very shocking. Xi had clearly established himself as most powerful leader in China vis-a-vis his rivals, would-be rivals since Mao Zedong, really. So it was almost as if he didn't need to do this. But I guess the real shock factor is the precedent that it's reversed. This was four decades ago that Deng Xiaoping introduced term limits as part of his attempt to ensure that you had uh, peaceful transitions of power every 10 years. It was just such a shock to see that project basically discarded. Yeah, and James, if you talk to Chinese theorists of government, one of their arguments is that they had essentially solved the succession problem, the problem of an overpowerful ruler, by making this more of a collective leadership, making people leave after two terms. But that argument no longer applies. Yes, absolutely. And it's important to stress what a big deal it was, really, over the four decades that Tom mentioned, since Deng Xiaoping instituted this policy within the state constitution. This fact that China changes its leaders once every 10 years has been repeated over and over again as a key element of the whole body politic of China, a kind of check and balance on the authoritarian system that China has, and an essential check and balance. So from the perspective of China's recent history, it's very difficult to overstate the monumental nature of this departure. And Tom, what's been the reaction in China? I gather they're stepping quite heavily on social media to try to avoid there being a sense that there's a public backlash against this. Yeah, as ever in China, you can't freely poll people to get a sense of how popular or unpopular it is. She is genuinely very popular amongst wide swathes of the population here for his anti-corruption campaign, for his nationalist foreign policy My sense is actually if you were to take a public opinion poll, most people would support him and support what he's done. However, a very important constituency here are the urban intelligentsia, the urban property owners, many of whom have searing memories of the Cultural Revolution. And there's deep unease amongst that section of society about this move. And they've dared to criticize this obliquely, not so obliquely online, and the censors are cracking down. They've even recently censored the letter N, which people are putting up as a sign of dissent, as in no. And we will see at the upcoming National People's Congress 
possibly abstentions, no votes, because it has to be voted on, these amendments, by the almost 3,000 delegates there. And how quickly does that happen? The National People's Congress opens on Monday the 5th. The voting on this and senior leadership appointments will be towards the end of the Congress. We think that's scheduled for about March 18th, 19th. So, James, the name of Mao Zedong has already come up in our conversation. And I guess the ambiguity of Xi Jinping to Mao's legacy is one of the things that makes people anxious. Of course, he suffered personally during the Cultural Revolution. He was sent into exile, and yet he seems to, at some level, venerate Mao. Does that raise questions about what he intends to do with this personal mandate? Yes, I think it does. I think, you know, the concerns really come from two directions. The first is the nature of the structure of power. Throughout Chinese history, there's been uh, 422 emperors, and every Chinese student of history knows that the number of so-called good emperors, those emperors that history has regarded in a positive light, is rather small. And the Chinese language is replete with phrases about the need for absolute power to be tempered by checks and balances. And even the emperors really had to answer to heaven, and they also had to answer to Confucian orthodoxy and their teachers and usually a circle of people around them that were advisors. So this idea that the power of the boss needs to be tempered and balanced is something that's been known for thousands of years. So first of all, I think the issue is the structure of power. Who is going to temper Xi Jinping. At the moment, it's very difficult to say, seeing as the Chinese reports, the official People's Daily, have only said that Xi controls the Communist Party and the Communist Party controls China. So, at a sort of a general reading of that, it seems at the moment we cannot identify any source of balance to Xi's power. Then there comes the very good question of what are Xi's leanings when it comes to using that power. And yes, I think you're right to point to the way in which he often quotes Chairman Mao, the way in which he often harks back to China's revolutionary history, and the way in which the legitimacy of the Communist Party itself has shifted really since the revolution, but particularly over the last 20 years or so from the imperative to build the country economically to now a focus on national pride. And it's the national pride element that Xi Jinping himself has really pushed. All of his main policies, such as the China dream, the dream of recapturing China's historical glories, and the Belt and Road Initiative, the aim to roll China's economic influence out way beyond China's borders, the South China Sea, the way in which China's building uh, military emplacement on islands throughout the sea down there, all of these are shot through with the rhetoric of national pride. And so I think, you know, if you're sitting anywhere in the world now looking at Xi Jinping grabbing pretty much absolute power in China, you are concerned at what this might mean for the projection of Chinese power abroad. And Tom, what does it feel like from Beijing? And what does the people around Xi Jinping, how do they justify this move? Well, it's interesting. They've really been scrambling to justify. One thing they refer to is the so-called Holy Trinity, which is traditionally the top leader in China has been general secretary of the Communist Party, head of the party's military commission, 
controlling the PLA and also president. Now, of those three positions, the presidency is the least important, the least powerful, but it was also the only one with term limits. So essentially, after last October's Party Congress, when Xi Jinping had his name written into the party charter, and that's going to be repeated with the state constitution at the upcoming parliamentary session, it was clear that he was going to be the dominant figure in the party for years to come, far beyond 10 years. As long as he lived, he was going to be the ultimate arbiter. But the presidency clearly had a limit to it. And what they've been saying is that, well, we need our powerful, competent ruler to have all three of these titles together. And I think one thing that people here find quite disconcerting is that there wasn't really a need for him to do this. He doesn't really have any rivals to threaten him. And as long as he was alive, basically, even if he was not still general secretary of the Communist Party, he was going to wield enormous influence and his successors would probably still have to defer to him. And do you think that he's doing this because he has some kind of new project in mind? Or is it perhaps almost a self-protective thing? Some people say that given the anti-corruption drive that you both referred to, he's made so many enemies that he may not even want to step down. It's a theory. I'm not sure I really agree with it. I mean, yes, he makes a lot of enemies, but every time he takes someone down for corruption and appoints someone else into that place, you know, I think his power is enhanced. And I don't see him as being a weak and vulnerable figure were he to step down as general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. And finally, James, obviously this needs to be placed in some kind of international context. What happens in China would matter enormously anyway, given the fact that it's either the largest or second largest economy in the world. But equally, it's now part of a pattern. People are pointing to the way President Putin is about to be re-elected, will have been president or prime minister for decades And indeed, even the vogue for sort of strongman rule emerging a bit in the West with Donald Trump or Viktor Orban in Hungary and so on. How do you fit this development in China into those wider patterns? Yes, it's a good question. I mean, I think the great power that China has demonstrated over the last 20, 30 years has been the power to get things done. And if we look at China's internal development, we should recognize the extraordinary achievement lifting hundreds of millions of people out of poverty, building world-class infrastructure at an incredible rate, developing itself from a pretty poor country in the early 80s to, as you just mentioned, second largest economy in the world. So there is something about the China model that has been immensely successful. And part of me thinks that Xi Jinping is riding that reputation to this position of absolute power. But as far as that plays to other countries around the world, I think there's a couple of interesting things happening. The first is that China has now begun to talk in terms of the China model. It's slightly talking out of both sides of its mouth because on the one hand, it's saying that the China model is superior to what it sees in the West. And on the other hand, it's saying, at least through more junior officials, that it doesn't want to export this model to other countries. But I think what we may be seeing now is a series of countries around the world starting to emulate, at least in some degree, the type of strongman rule that China has shown is so effective in the Chinese context. Okay. well, with that thought, we'll leave it. Thank you very much indeed to James King here in London and to Tom Mitchell in Beijing. 
That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.